It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner, joined by Chad Brendel of BearcatJournal.com and Rick Roaring from MusketeerReport.com. Welcome in to the post-final four edition of the podcast. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Chad Brendel of Bearcat Journal and Rick Roaring of MusketeerReport.com as we bring you, believe it or not, episode 40. We've done 40 of these. If I would have known that, I would have got us all some 40s before I, that before I came That would have been a perfect way to cap it, wouldn't it have? It really would have. 40s and a couple of, uh, couple of egg rolls would have been perfect. We're asleep at the wheel. We really are. We really are. Uh, we got a lot of ground to cover. We're going to uh, kind of wrap up the seasons for Xavier, UC, Kentucky, NKU, even look ahead a little bit to, to next year for each one of those. We're going to look back at, uh, obviously, the national championship game in the Final Four weekend and, and touch on a little bit more coaching stuff. But let's start with, with the national championship game where um, – Officials played a bit of a role, I guess. Um, Quit fouling. I, I, I guess it's just. Well, I mean, hold on. Are we talking about the amount of fouls? Or yeah. Are we talking about the, the, the blown the, the, call the, the, at the, the end, yeah. with the jump ball, and the missed block? Like, look, UK fans are a little bit vindicated here because they said they're out there to cheat North Carolina and get North Carolina to the top. And then back-to-back games since the UK game, North Carolina has benefited from some terrible calls in yeah. the final minute. Yeah, I mean, obviously the free throw call on on Saturday in the Final Four, the the the, the, the Kennedy Meeks stepping across the line miss. The, the, see, I don't, I don't like. I didn't mind the the Theo Penson tip that that he didn't tip because he fouled him. Like he it would have been three free throws if they didn't call the ball off of Penson, which it wasn't. Right, 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 right. And then Gonzaga gets a three right after that, uh, but. I mean, yeah, that but, one I'm okay with. The yeah, other one is calls Collins taking yeah. him out of the game on a completely clean block See, where he I'm, wasn't even close. The, the, and then the the play where they call a jump ball where um, Sean May. <laughs> Someone said Sean May on my Kennedy message board, <laughs> and I was literally about to he call looks, Kennedy they, Meeks they, Sean they, 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 it's, it's it's the same, same guy. Dude. Yeah. Well, someone just asked me if Kentravious Jones, Xavier's incoming center for next year, compared to Sean May. And I was – I don't know. Sean May was like the number three player was, in the yeah. country. An absolute load yeah. in five-eighths. No. To tell them the answer is no. <laughs> I mean, I just don't understand where that comparison would come right. from in the first place. From, from, from hope. But anyway, from hope is where that comes from. That's, that's where the Sean May uh, came from. But Kennedy Meeks was in a tie-up, had his hand out of bounds in the tie-up, and they give North Carolina the ball, and it's a completely reviewable situation. And it's a one-point game at that point. That, yeah. did, that did change... The end of the game. Well, let me I ask mean, you there this, multiple things. It's not just like one where it's like, oh, okay. No, but, but, but my overall point in the second half is there was a ton of fouls. There were some bad calls yeah. mixed in. Right, the one thing there I, was a lot of fouls. Now, but, but, I, but I was asked this question today. I was on a radio show in Lexington, and I was asked by the host why. I mean, there's really it, – it's such a broad question. It's hard to answer. And the only thing I could come up with, because it's spur of the moment, it's a radio interview, I said, I really wonder if in these TV moments they don't want some TV time. I, I mean, I really – Well, wonder. Michael Stevens is terrible. But, okay, and that's why I said, so how do these guys keep getting these gigs deeper into the tournament that maybe don't deserve them? And I think it goes back to what we've talked about before is let me see the transparency of how these guys are graded. Tell me that they missed yeah. these two calls, and we can go back. If you could tell me that and go, you know what, we look, we reviewed in this minute and, and in this minute, and those were too long. Great, but there seems to be... 
They well, ref the game. They leave the floor. Nothing is ever said other than people complaining. And, and, it, and it always sounds like sour grapes. I have no skin in last no. night. I, have z- I had zero skin in last I didn't have a wager on it. I didn't have a, a bracket coming down to it. I had no skin in, in, in any of the games. I, I read a great story on Stevens last night, who was the, the head official. Somebody said they saw him um, at one of the AAU events. They'll have the college guys come in and be like directors. Right. And, and they're teaching or whatever. And they said during the event, like 20 times during the event, all they heard Michael Stevens tell the officials were, blow your whistles. Blow your whistles. Well, I, two, I, the duck-in foul has got to – like that's got to stop. The, the foul on Collins where all he did was literally attempt to duck in right. and get position. And they've caught, that's, that was a point of emphasis this year. For what? A guy's not allowed to duck in – like – that I saw that called so many times this year. Especially like Kentucky fans, it happened to Bam a right, ton. Right, but it happened to, to Gary Clark quite a bit. Where all they're doing, they're not. What is the foul? What what right. is the infraction on a guy turning around and, and establishing position on a defender? Correct. Where's where's the Correct. infraction? Why is that a point of emphasis? Why did that need to be stopped? Because they were trying to stop all physical play whatsoever, but I mean, it's gaining position. Like I, I'm not disagreeing. I'm I just I'm, I don't I don't get I don't get that one. I, yeah. That one befuddles the, me. I guess the only thing about the tournament was it, it, it seemed like it was poorly officiated. It, it seemed like that became more of a storyline than, than the games themselves, and maybe that's shame on us for. for but you, you can only react to what you see and what we saw. Was it, it actually is the fish, is the officiating actually worse than in years past though? Because no. I feel like I don't know. Constant, that's, a good, that's a great question. People right? constantly complain about this. Sort, it's sort of like the, the committee did the worst job seating ever every year, right? We're kind of getting into that territory with the officials. No, I, and I, I and I understand your point, but um, I think now there's just more camera angles. There's and more. maybe that's what it is, and the fact that that we can literally see if you wanted to put four TVs up or screen inside a screen, you could, or go to the closest game possible, look and go, oh, the game I'm watching sucks. Let me go to True TV because that game's better. You're seeing the key moments of every key game now, live, and 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 with multiple replays with high definition. That's why you know you get the the, the one in the Arkansas game where the ball is clearly tipped, and 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 you're thinking, hey, this is what that technology is for, right. and you still didn't get it right in that circumstance. Um, I guess that's the frustrating part, and and I maybe maybe it's the transparency part of it. Maybe that's the part that just just tell us how you grade these guys, why yeah. this guy has gotten this assignment. And maybe you can look and go, you know what? He missed two really big calls, but he got 46 calls dead right throughout the tournament that we didn't think about that were the exact right call at the exact right time and the exact right moment. But you just don't get that, unfortunately. Now, the game itself... Um, wasn't played well. It was not played well. Um, Real quick on the officiating yeah. thing. Do you like the, M- the way the NBA does the final two-minute report? And does like hold I do. their I do. And responsible I, for end but, of game but I, but I do think that came out of the Tim Donahue thing where they wanted to make sure that they were letting people know that here's why these were called and the, fi- and the fix was not in on yeah. any of these games. Because that's where usually if you were going to have a game fixed by somebody, an official, he can certainly sway the end of NBA games where there is some quick fouling. You can move the ball. I mean, you can score probably – Hell, you can score 10 points in about a 15-second span if you manage the clock right. I mean, right. you really could. So I think that was smart on the NBA's part. But I, I wouldn't mind seeing that in college basketball because, let's face it, in close games, a call down a stretch or two is what determines it sometimes. Well, and it's the same situation. You mentioned how quickly you can swing a game. Like, that's the problem. That's what we're seeing is these big calls that are blatant, blatantly wrong – they're reviewable, and yet they still get it wrong. Right, like, that's, to the, me, that's, that's like, the weird like, part. What the hell's going on? That's the weird part. No, no question. That's about where it. you can't like. 
there has to be some understanding that in today's society, everything's reviewable. Like you have to to go get that right. Right. And I know it gets frustrating. Like, oh God, here they go to the monitor again. Well, I'd rather have it right than, well, than I, but not I, go I, to the monitor. And I think sometimes they go to the monitor, and then it takes forever when you see the very first replay of it. It's clear that the calls was either should either be upheld right, or should or be, be overturned, as opposed to they stand there, keep looking at it, keep looking at it, keep looking at it. Then they huddle for a second. Then they get their assignments. If you go tell Coach A, I'll go tell Coach B, I'll go tell the TV guys. That's what seems to take long, as opposed to going, like in the Arkansas game, going, oh, yeah, the ball was tipped. You go tell him. You tell him. I'll tell them. 20 seconds later, we're done. Right. Although, although I will say on the multiple angles thing, like I've I've seen it multiple times where you see something, that initial shot, you're you go, right. oh, that's an easy call. And then you see three more angles, you go, oh, yeah, right. never mind, I was wrong. Like, so I've done that myself, absolutely. through all the angles, but I think they do need to speed along the process a little yeah. bit after yeah. they look yeah. through the angles. Um, let's talk about the game. You're right, it was not, it was not well played. Um, the national champion shot 33% from the floor, something along those 15% lines. from three, yeah. and 57% from the free throw And one. And one. <laughs> that's, that's insane. It's almost impossible to believe a team could shoot that poorly from three in today's game right. and win a championship. And the free throw. Like, it, it would be different if they had, like, you know, they went 24 of 26 from the line and made up those points that they didn't get from the three-point line. But they shot horribly in every phase of the game right. and won – by seven or whatever the hell six, it was. six yeah, whatever yeah. the hell it ended up being. Yeah. Now I will say, I, I, at the end, the, the probably the best team won. That that's the the best team in the country. Overtime won. But it also yeah. here's the thing that, that this also shows you is because every you're always labeled. You see, right wrong for a great season now is a second round loser. It, it's it's not fair. It's wrong. Kentucky was an elite eight team because that's where they got bounced out, and, and so you get labeled by unfortunate yeah. Xavier made and the, their season is they made an elite eight run. Um, so you are defined by that. But but it, it tells you how how close it is when when Carolina literally could have been knocked out in the second round of this tournament by Arkansas. Yeah, and, and should have probably been right. Um, but it, 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 that's why in this one and done thing, it's not always the best team wins. It's the team that survives and advances. And but I thought this year, I think I can, or I can honestly say, I thought North Carolina for the season was the best team in the country. Well, I thought. I mean, the two teams we had in the finals, when you throw Gonzaga in there, you had two of at least the best four teams yes. all year. And Gonzaga, like, I mean, to, the, to its credit, really did prove they were legit. That they were legit. They're absolutely legit. Down to the wire. Yep. Uh, down to the wire of the 100%. national championship game. I mean, the whole question was was all year, oh, yeah, but you know, the league. Well, you look what they did non-league, and they played some folks and did some good things, but it was still, they've right. never done it. So why would you believe that they're going to do it now? Right. Um, after losing two NBA players off of last year's team. My take, and I was completely wrong about it, was that you can't just go through the last two months of your season blowing teams out by yes, 25, I, and 30 I agree points with every night and then be ready to play the best competition in the country. Clearly, that wasn't an issue. For them. No, and they did benefit through, through being the one seed, and that's the benefit of it. You get a 16, the, you, you get an 8 or a 9, um, then the, no then offense to Zayde. You got then an you, upset and you, got an 11. Correct. Yeah. You, know, you did what you did needed to do against the seeds because I think they, they beat a 4. Yeah, because they beat a 4 in the in – the, uh, Elite Eight round or the semifinal Sweet Sixteen round, so they did play the highest seed they could play leading up to the Xavier game. But no, yeah, I think they played a five. Did they? Okay, okay, um, but whatever. But they did play at least yeah. the bracket didn't really bust for them until yeah, until the Elite Eight. Until the Elite Eight, and then they got Xavier in South Carolina. Correct. 
Correct. But but and I thought they and a seven. But I think Rick's point's right. They proved they were they proved they were legit though. Yeah. Yeah. They they went obviously sixteen, then eight over Northwestern, then four over West Virginia, then okay. eleven okay. over Xavier. Xavier. So well, they they didn't get a great bribe. But the and that's what people well, they got all these they play these easy well, you deserve that. You earned that right. Right. And then you got a break along the way. Yeah, and it's so ridiculous. Like people always do this, like, oh you, the bracket fell their way, they they got so and so. And it's like well, so and so was there because they were playing well. Because they, and they beat so and so to get there. Like they beat the team that you thought was so good. Like it goes back to the Lehigh when Lehigh beat Duke, and everyone like criticizes Xavier for beating Lehigh. It's like they had C.J. McCollum. Right. They were pretty good. They had an NBA dude. Pretty damn good. No, and, and sometimes the bracket does break your way, but it still means you have to win that game, yeah. and eventually you probably will face. At some point, again, a very high seed when you get to maybe the semifinal round. So, no, Gonzaga proved to be legit, no question. I think Fuse got them in a really good spot. I do, too. I, you know, and, and they parallel Xavier very much, obviously, because both programs at, at some point in time, two decades ago, three decades ago, probably in Xavier's case, said, you know what, basketball is going to become a big deal for us. We're going to throw yeah. resources, money, have good facilities, um, have our recruiting budgets match some of those elite, and they can do it because that is their focus focus of money. I mean, Gonzaga doesn't have football. Xavier doesn't have football. And I think both of them kind of parallel each other very much that Gonzaga decided basketball is going to become important for us, and they've made it important. Xavier decided... I mean, let's face it. Xavier, after they won the NIT in 1958, was really nothing for three decades. And in fact, almost faded into oblivion in the early 70s when they were losing 92-29 to to Indiana, for goodness sakes. But finally, somebody said... Hey, you know what? It's got to be a priority. Well, let's let's make this a priority. Let's get out of Schmidt Fieldhouse. We'll, we'll eventually build our own facility. And Gonzaga obviously is has done very much the same. And, and they, the reward is they got to the national championship game. Yeah, there's just nothing mid-major about Gonzaga's spending Correct. in college basketball. I mean, they're up among the tops, like top ten in the country in terms of what they're spending. Mm-hmm. So it's not a surprise that they're seeing this success. But they they are in a really good spot now because they've they've done the unique thing, which is create themselves as a destination school yes. or a, a school that um, that transcends conference. Like, it doesn't matter. They are a high major program that kids want to go play for Gonzaga now. In a crap league. Regardless of who they play right. in their league. Right. And and they're able then to get this is in the use, this is where UC runs into the issue. They're able to get better buy games because what does their finances allow them to do? It allows them to get better buy games, yeah. for goodness sakes. And it, it, it works out where they're in a crap league and they're still able to get a one seed because if you look at what they did outside the league, they played some pretty good teams along the way. Yeah, they had a good good exempt event and right. had a couple other good yep. you know, good teams on the schedule. I think their scheduling philosophy in terms of how they do it is similar to UC, but their buy games are better. Yeah, because they can they can afford it. I mean, no offense, UC has football that's a bit of a drain right now, and until the league circumstance changes, UC's in, in, a, in a tough spot in that regard. And when hopefully the league changes, you can get better buy games, and then you'll be also in a better league to play better competition and, right. and help your RPI. Let's uh, let's spin it to the to the unless you guys want anything more on the on the championship game and the, and the I, tournament itself. I just thought it played out kind of the way we were talking before. The game with the length. I mean, yeah. you saw finally the length across really the board. He, he really looked. He bothered. couldn't do anything. He didn't um, have a counter. But then when Collins came into the game, he like he's he was really good he, when he was on the floor. Right. He's really good, but he struggled with the length. He wasn't able to finish over him. He was getting a little frustrated. I mean, two of the calls were pretty questionable in terms of his five right. fouls. Right, right. But he was constantly in foul trouble because he's having to do a little more. And then it's not just those guys. It's like you've got. North Carolina just gang rebounds, man. It's from everywhere. It Their is. wings but get in there. They had 20 second-chance points. 
outscored them 20 to 14 in second chance. There's points, your six and point difference. Six. Right. And I think a lot of that was when the foul trouble hit because Gonzaga, for most of the first half, the first half they out rebounded them. They, they controlled not? The, the offensive, or controlled Carolina on the offensive glass. Then the foul trouble hit early in the second half. And to Carolina's credit, they went pack of wolves. Yeah. They just they, they said, oh, oh, you got four, you got three. We're coming we're at coming. you. Yep. And we're coming in waves. Three, four, five guys to the offensive glass, and they finally m- made it work and, and got to that point that they needed to get to. Because, I mean, if they only get ten second chance points, I didn't. They lose. They, they lose because they didn't shoot it. Yeah, but, I mean, they shot. They did not. They shot it terribly. But but saying if they don't get. If they only get 10 seconds, guess what? That's how they they've won all year. Right. They have won all but, year. Oh, yeah. But what I'm saying is, is Gonzaga held them at bay when they yeah. were on the floor. To an extent. But, like, the thing is, Gonzaga was controlling the glass overall, like, getting more rebounds. But on the offensive glass, just the little tips, the stuff to keep balls alive, yeah. Carolina just always does that. There's You can't take it away with the roster they had this year. And, and it, because it's not just their two bigs. It's all, it is. It's right. It comes in and right. tips a ball yeah. out. You know, like. There are so many different plays. Jackson's, Jackson's too, long. Yeah, how yeah, bad was Penson? Yeah, I, if he took another pull-up, twenty-two <laughs> footer. Well, and, and Jackson too. Jackson with his legs kicking sideways, falling backwards. He did that in both games. He did that in the Kentucky game too. Yeah. Where it was almost like he gets so frustrated of not getting a shot off that I'm coming off this curl, and it doesn't matter how I got to shoot this. I'm shooting it. And it was not good. It was not good. And really, Joel Berry's shooting actually bailed him out a little bit. For a guy that played hurt, I mean, he bailed him out. And he had played terrible most of the tournament, really. Right, right. He showed up. In the finals, yeah. that was basically it. No doubt. Uh, let's move on to uh, to kind of looking ahead for each of, of the teams that we talked about during the course of the season. Let's start with uh, with UC. And um, obviously a, a very good roster coming back. And the wild card is what Kane Broom, I, all I've heard is how he changes tempo in practice, how he really changed energy in practice. And that's all. You hear that sometimes. But you're around it enough. I mean, how much might he change pace? It's completely pace? different. It's yeah. completely different. I mean, there would be, you know, they would be running, you know, Kane ran the second team, right. uh, the red team, where the black team would be the, the five, five starters. starters. Right. The red team would be Broom and Justin Jennifer and um, Cumberland, Jared Cumberland and Trey, Trey Scott. Scott and Nizier Brooks yeah. or Quadri Moore, whichever. Yeah. Um, the black team would come down, run their stuff, 22 seconds into the shot clock, get a shot. And then the red team would score in six seconds. Well, because Cumberland wants to, the thing that Cumberland wants to run, and Broom, and Broom wants, wants to run, and Jennifer wants to run yeah. in that group, and I think Jacob Evans will, will eventually be more inclined yeah. to want to run with the way that that, that they're going to play. Kyle Washington is is fairly athletic for a big guy. I think it helps Trey Scott because it he's not a he's an athlete he's not a half court right. basketball right. player at this point now here here's the key question though how how much do you believe Mick will swallow hard through some errors that will occur because of that i don't think he's going to have a choice that's just the way kane plays okay. like i mean yeah he might try to to reel it in some because he's a big anti turnover right you know that that's a big value, part pose- of his value, value possessions value possessions just don't give Basically, don't give live ball turnovers to them. Yeah, yeah, opportunities for easy baskets because he knows once his team is set on defense, they're very tough right. to score on. Um, but there's, it's not going to be Troy Capain. It's not going to be, you know, three turnovers and seven conference games total, or you know, whatever silly stuff he did during the regular season this year, where he never turned the ball over during conference play. Right. Um, you're going to get a couple more, but you're also going to get. Some easy buckets. Six more possessions, seven more possessions, right. where 
two or three extra turnovers are kind of swallowed up into that. So the style is going to be a lot different. Um, if you go back, his first team he had at Murray played really fast and averaged up in the 80s mm-hmm. because they had a guy that, that could push the ball and make that happen. I think it'll be uh, similar to what you saw him have there, and this is something he's kind of been building towards. Um it's going to be a different. I mean, it's going to be interesting because it's going to be. I came room with the ball and not not De'Aaron Fox fast because there's no other buddy that's as fast as De'Aaron Fox. No, but, but at what level are we talking about? Pretty close. Yeah. Okay. Not too far behind. Yeah. I, I, I compared him to the kid from Georgia. Or, oh, the left-handed yeah. kid. Yeah, the, um, the, drawing a blank. JJ Frazier. Yeah, JJ yeah. Frazier. Um, I think he's got some of those qualities. Left-handed. He's the end to end. He's that fast. Um, JJ Frazier's crafty. And Kane's got some of yeah. that. I mean, it's. He's in the lane, and you're – how do you get there? Head faking here and ducking yeah. there. and Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, to, to to put up the numbers. Now, he, he was did. not a great shooter, correct? He took a lot of bad shots. Yeah, but he was, but he was probably guard. forced to, too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he averaged, what, 23 a game? 23 and a half a yeah. game. He was the number one sophomore in the country in terms of scoring. Um, he was the number one guy in the nation freshman-sophomore year combined um, in scoring. So he, he, he told me – I was joking with them because I'm like, man, you're going to – Kyle and Gary yeah, and – They need some touches. Jake and, and, and Jaron. He said, I, I don't know how to score less than 15 a game. Okay, well, <laughs> that, that's, that's actually a good sign to some degree as long as it's a fi- 15 a game on uh, not 15, on less than 15 shots. I mean, but that's the one thing. He's a much better passer than I thought because that was one thing I was worried about was this kid going to Yeah, because you in. see him as a scorer, and that's yeah. what he did at Sacred Heart. And he came in, and, and he had adapted after about – it took him about three or four weeks – where he was passive and wasn't doing much of anything, just trying to feel his way through. And then he started moving the ball, and he's one of those that, that has killed the UC defense, a point guard that gets in the lane and can ditch, and you're going to get a lot better three-point looks. You're going to get a lot better. You know, I think they're going to be a better shooting team just because he's going to be collapsing defenses and kicking to open rhythm shots instead of you know, moving the ball side to side on the perimeter or working through the post. I want to ask both you. Go ahead. He, he shot 44.5% in his freshman and sophomore years from the field. His freshman year, he shot 33.8% from three on okay. four, over, four three-point attempts. And his sophomore year, he shot 31.1% on over seven attempts per game. He had a Yeah, I knew, point, it was, I knew it wasn't a good number. Okay. 2.9 assists to 3.8 yeah, turnovers last year. The turnover year. number yeah. was bad. Yeah, it's that's, a bad. He's got to fix yeah, it. Yeah, the copain ratio is more four, to one, four assists to one turnover, yeah. or at least in that range. He's going to have to get near the two-to-one range. But you're also, I mean, and I'm not trying to make an excuse for the kid by any stretch here, but, I mean, you're also playing with. Had. Yeah, I was going to say, you're also playing with better players that you trust a little bit more and yeah. and can maybe take some pressure off of you as well. I do want to ask both of you guys this because it, it, I don't know if this is a trend, but it certainly seems to be we're getting a few more of these every year, the transfer up guy, the guy that goes to Sacred Heart and suddenly he's transferred up. In the case of Xavier, you've got two fifth-year guys that came in but basically transferred up. I mean, one comes from Norfolk, one comes from, from Florida A&M. Are these guys that just get overlooked coming out of high school, just don't? Came was too little. And that's right. And so – is it is it becoming a little bit of a proving ground to go to a smaller school and then have a shot to transfer up? Because again, I don't know if it's a trend, if that's the right word, but it feels like there's more of these guys. 
is there is there more of them? That's I, what I, I don't is. know because because for me, like I I know Xavier's always kind of had that right. right. Like Xavier's always kind of been a good spot for that, where a guy goes to a small school, low major. And well, like, but well, I'm better. I'm thinking of Brian Thornton. Brian Thornton didn't really. I mean, he went Vandy to, to Xavier. Well, yeah, so. but you got Travis Taylor going yeah. Monmouth yeah. to Xavier. You got yeah. Isaiah Fillmore going Towson to Xavier. Okay. I mean, like there, Xavier has a pretty good history going all the way back of this type of thing because they're that nice next level up, but not in a high major conference right. necessarily. So it's a good landing spot for all those guys. Although it's changed a little bit now with the Big East. I mean, I think for, more select for schools, it's great because you see a kid all of a sudden develop, and if he wants to come to your place, as opposed to going, eh, you're too small and you didn't really do much for me. Right. You see what he's done at the college level. Well, boom. what it does kill is, is school. The, the little the, school, the, the 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 big time Cinderella. Right. You know, if, if CJ McCollum is playing now. He's playing for a high major. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is the, is he a guy that would have, in this culture, transferred played up. two years and then transferred up? Yeah. I, I don't know about that because he was always a guy that had the NBA on his mind, and a lot of those guys don't want to sit out a yeah. year, so that's why they don't transfer. It's the same yeah. thing with Steph Curry. It's why he didn't transfer when yeah. he easily could have. Um, so for, for UC, though, next year, I mean, if you look at the roster, it, it, it should be one that makes this a similar type of run, and, and you just hope it doesn't come down to a game with Rhode Island or someone of that ilk that you absolutely have to win to help your resume. Yeah, I mean, uh, from what I know, they're really struggling to schedule right now, and they're running into a lot of roadblocks, and there's a very delicate balance in – at what point do you start selling your the, soul and doing the Butler? One-off? The Butler series is, was done. Butler and Iowa State are both, both done. done. That's what I thought. Okay. They need that Michigan series to start, but I don't know if there's been too many feelings hurt right, there. Right. Too much damage done on that. Um, the tournament they were they're in looked to be like it was going to be decent, and now none of those teams had a very good season. And, <laughs> and I was in there, and they lose Peter Jock, right. who was their best player. And they weren't very good. They weren't very good. So um, it's gonna, they're going to have to get creative here because the, the way it looks right now, you know, they've, they've got a lot of work to do in scheduling to get even to where they, even were. To where they were, you know, this past season. Um, obviously – the Wichita State thing, the more and more we go on. It seems like it's it's, it's going to happen, and it's, it's going to happen for 2017-18, yeah, I believe. Yeah, which would be a big help. Um, from, I'm hearing some things from outside sources, and um, it sounds like they've got seven for sure that are ready to do it. Um, they've got one that's kind of on the fence, and they need eight. Yeah, and I mean, if you've got seven, you're going to you get that sway guy. The, yeah, sway the extra, the extra that's going to come your way. Well, I think it's a. I mean, I'm sorry, it's a for slam dunk. It, it should be a slam dunk. Have to do it. I could see it within the month. I think you're going to hear Wichita State's coming to the American Conference. Well, and and starting in the 17, 18 season, yes. yeah, which would be which so would that's going to be a big help. Adding, you know, Wichita State doesn't lose anybody on a team that was really good, really good. So you know, you're looking. The, the big thing for the American next year is going to be does Shemi Ojale come back, right? Because if he comes back, you're looking at potentially three top 15 teams in the conference, three top 20 teams right, at least. at least. With Wichita State, Cincinnati, yep. and, and SMU. SMU. Um, UConn, holy cow, what a dumpster fire that is. We, we don't do much cussing on this, but I could say three or four bad words to describe what's going on with Kevin Ollie up there. Wow. 
Well, I mean, it's it's amazing to think you're three three years removed from a national championship in the fall that quickly. And it wasn't like you, the, the the run was surprising, but the program making the run at that time was not One. surprising. You, you're you've fallen off when when UConn joined the Big East years ago when the Big East was formed. They were nothing, nothing, nothing. nothing. Jim Calhoun built them into a consistent year after year national power. Kevin Ali kind of. Picked up the fumes of that. They had the magical run as a seven Shabazz seed. Napier, yeah, Ryan Boatwright to beat the to beat an eight seed in Kentucky that year it was a seven versus an eight actually that year. Um, but since that point in time, I mean, you're you're back to pre Big East days. They're down to five returning guys. They just lost their top recruit, who was signed, asked out of his letter of intent, and from everything I'm hearing, the kid's going to end up at Providence, which is a huge. Image blow to UConn. No doubt. I mean, you know, a top 50 point guard decommits and commits to Providence right. shortly thereafter. That's not a good look for, for Kevin Ollie and the UConn program. But again, it doesn't help the league. No, it's, I mean, that's, yeah, you would think Temple's going to bounce back this year from a, or next year from a rough season this year. Um, Central Florida looks like they're going to be pretty good. Um, what about Memphis? God, Tubby's in trouble down there. I know he is. I, it's, that just was not a good spot no. for him. Not a, no. Just not a good spot for him. South Florida might be the worst team in college basketball next year. <laughs> and Tulane isn't probably far by. Although he might get. He's he got some actually, dudes. He's got a couple dudes. I think yeah. Dunleavy will have them yeah. five hundred right. back in that range where they're not he's being a 300, 300 RPI team. They'll be maybe up above you know 200. They'll be better offensively. They can really score. They can score. Yeah, times they, they can, can really score. <laughs> just wanted to remind um, you of that. ECU, I, you know, they're still going to struggle, but they well, need. I mean, you, don't, you don't need all 11, no. 10, 11, 12 teams in the league to be great, Houston, but you need three quarters of them to be yeah. good. You need Houston to continue to, to, to be on right. the path that they were on and have, you know, Tulsa. They well, they had lost a bunch of guys, and it finally they, they surprised I, me. Well, they, they ran did, out of gas, and I think the loss to UC almost just pushed them over yeah. the. Hey, that was their one big moment to make a push in the league this year. They lost it, blew a lead, and from that point forward, the they were dreadful. Popped. Yeah, but they've still got some decent talent. Um, so I think the league will be better next year, and especially adding Wichita State, that at least gives you another flag to plant right. in that top twenty-five every week when people are talking about it, along with. You know, hopefully Cincinnati and SMU. So, um, hopefully, as the the schedule gets worked out, they can make some things happen, and and it's going to be it's going to be an interesting year over in Highland Heights. Yes, indeed. To watch the Bearcats. Yes, yes, yes it will. <laughs> you won't be watching their women's team over there, by the way. No, no. Going to the Saint Ursula Academy. Good luck to you. Best of luck. Nice. All right, let's let's touch on on Xavier. Um, you, we talked about it the, the last podcast, and, and I think since then is when Trayvon Blewett decided to put his name in the in the NBA draft, not hire an agent, so he like can. Thirty minutes after we were, yeah, I think it was. It was yeah. darn close to it. Um, but that, it played out exactly like we said it. Was. Yeah, and I guess the question then is, when he goes to the combine, what number does he get? And if they tell him, "Look, dude, you're a high second round guy, and we don't see you getting higher than that," I. I, I I would say I'm just doing this as an outsider. I think I think it's still a 75 percent chance he walks. My guess is that he does not come back to Xavier. Yeah, um, but I've been I've talked to people who have said I think like there's a legit chance he's definitely considering. Well, it. It's I, not a it's I, not a foregone conclusion. I, I was asked this today, um, and I said you know he probably he's not going to probably ever work his way into the first round. 
But if he's he's got the confidence level he's got and comes back with a chip and say if they tell him look right now we got you we got you at fifty two we got you middle second round right. and we think your your ceiling is probably high second round I think the last one I saw on him Rick was NBA or a Draft Express had him as the fifty his number fifty that's why I threw the number out there so that's oh, mid second round really they moved him in because last I the, they did the NBA Draft was the first one that had done I did not go to that one after he declared and they moved they him have? to uh, I think fifth the last pick yeah okay so it's about, about the same 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 area and, and they tell him look. We, we, you, you might be able to work your way in the middle of the second round and maybe next year high second round. Does he have enough of a chip on his shoulder? I know he's got enough ego for this, but enough of a chip to say, no, I'm going to come back and I'm going to really work and I'm going to show you guys this next season that I do deserve to be a first-round pick. I don't know. I mean, I re- that's that's the question, right? And it's, it's that. It's also the stuff we talked about him being a Xavier legend. And yeah. Second all-time. See, scoring, I, and all I, that type and of stuff. I, I hate to be the, the guy. in the, I, I don't know if that matters to anybody anymore. I agree. Well, I mean, okay. like, and, and I'm not saying it should. It's just but what's important to you. Like, I, I know, right. I don't think right. that's an easy thing to look at and see the value in when you're 20. Agreed. But as a 30-year-old, I think no you doubt. Know, it's a lot easier to say, oh, man, this would be something that's really right. cool that would matter for the rest of your life right. possibly. Um I guess the thing would be like Josh Hart, right? Everyone says, why didn't he come back and have a Josh Hart type year and, and try to be a player of the year or whatever? Well, Josh Hart's still middle of the second round it guy. Didn't cha- yeah, it didn't, it didn't change. Yeah. Going, he just showed he's 40th in the second round. What he showed was he's still a really good college player. Yeah, exactly. So I just don't think there's a ton of upside for him. Right. That being said, like he's borderline not getting drafted possibly right now by, based on what we're seeing. Yeah, I mean, I mean we're, 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 yeah, we're round, talking so. in the 50s that if he goes to the combine could be even worse or when you start throwing foreign guys in there that, that we're not accounting for whatever. Um, you know, and I, some of this may even be before Fox and Monk declared unless they've put him in there knowing that they were going well, to declare anyway. Always in, yeah, yeah, because they, were, they, they knew they were already going to declare. But, I mean, maybe there's a couple other guys that, that haven't declared yet to declare that move that around a little bit. I, it's, it is a tough – I just – I would just say that, that if, I'm, if I'm Chris Mack, I'm assuming you're preparing without him. No. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you absolutely have to prepare as if yeah. he's not going to be there, and they and they've recruited that way. They yeah. recruited the whole time expecting that Edmund Sumner and Trayvon Blewett would not be there. Brian Snow and I have been saying since last spring right. that those two were not going to be back. So this this shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone. But it's the just the disappointment of coming off of this, thinking what could be. Well, and I think at the same time you, you had a, a a little bit of where Edmund and and Trayvon were both questioning, like maybe I will come back. Obviously Edmund because of the yeah, injuries, but now it seems like Trayvon maybe just. Looking at it from a little bit different perspective as well. Yeah. I have a question. Okay. This is for your boy Dan on the Dana and Victory podcast. Mm-hmm. He, he, I don't compare everyone to Sean Kilpatrick. I don't compare anyone to Sean <laughs> Kilpatrick. The only person I ever did was with Trayvon just because I think their career paths were fairly parallel. Well, what you tend to do is take anything that's said and be like, oh, that's like so-and-so from UC. And when we're talking about pros, that's kind of the only one you got right now. So you talk about Sean no, Kilpatrick a lot. Lance Stevenson's a pro. Okay. Signed a three-year deal. He's back with the Pacers. That's right. Yeah. He's starting shit with LeBron again yesterday. <laughs> anyway, the point still stands. I'm not taking shots at UC's lack of NBA guys. I'm just talking about you do tend to bring everything but that's the only... to UC people. And well, yeah, that's he's trying to make us. He's trying to make an analogy that it, brings it all together. It, it fits works. it all I'm as just a saying, piece. Dan's point is right. Like it is right. No, it's a, he, his point was that I compared everybody to Sean Kilpatrick. It, it was and a the only joke. I've ever compared to Sean yeah, Kilpatrick. It, it was a joke making fun of the Blue. fact that you compared. 
guys constantly. Does, does Malik Monk compare to Sean Kilpatrick? No. Okay, I'm just making no. sure. Just making no, sure. No, he does not. All right, there we go. A little bit more wiry, yeah. a little bit more athletic. I just want to make sure. See, he didn't compare. I threw out a name right there. Um, so we talked about this a little bit on, the, on the, one of the last few podcasts we've done, but kind of take people through what Xavier's got coming in and, and, and what might be. Let, let's go without Blewett first. Yeah, and I think that's. I mean, we know what could possibly happen if Blewett comes back. And I think that's the most interesting question. If Trayvon doesn't come back, which. I tend to think is the case, then what happens at the four? Because Kaiser Gates has, didn't look ready this year to be a starting four man that was going to give you what you would hope you would get out of your starting four I know, man. but man, I just see, I see, the, the, it feels like the, there's a chance for him to, to become a 15-point-a-game guy. I swear. just 15? Yeah, I don't, I, just because when he... You see when, something in him. When I he don't. shoots the ball... Yeah, but I see, like, I see him as and a I like guy to that see more. can have games where he gets yeah. 15. I don't know that I know, he's a 15 I know, I know but anyway. I think fans felt the same way you did, Skinny, coming into this year, and they were upset that he wasn't playing more once he recovered from his knee injury. Well, that's and on that him. He yeah. didn't get more minutes. Um, he just wasn't very good this year, like, and he didn't take the jump that you would have liked to have seen because usually freshman or sophomore year is the biggest right, jump right, for guys. Right. But sometimes it, you know, everyone has their own process. It, it can always come a year later. Mm-hmm. Maybe he'll make that big jump and things will click for him this year. And maybe he'll also have the confidence of knowing if Trayvon's not back, I should be the incumbent starter at the four. It, it felt like he settled for all he did was settle for a jump shot. That's what it did, and that and I, I see a bigger skill set than that. Well, that, that that's the issue for him right now is like people always say, oh, he needs to drive more. The coaches don't want him driving more because he can't dribble. So ha- has he shown a little bit more of that late in the season? Yeah, he showed some flashes. Will he improve that? To the point where, like, the coaches want him to do right. it, and it's a part of his right. game. I don't know. He might be kind of your uh, proverbial three and D guy that they talk about so much in the NBA, right. where he's a good spot up guy. He can really guard. He has good lateral quickness and length, which will play well with the other guys on the court because they're going to be right. a defensive minded team yep. next year. But I, I, that would be my biggest question: is does he start? Is he good enough? Does he make the jump? And then, like, could Najee Marshall push him at the four? That's that's what I was going to question. Isn't Najee Marshall? I, perfect for what Mac wants to do, kind of at that spot. In the face-up four, I really see him being kind of. He's different from Trayvon. He's not, he's not a stretch. The, he's not the shooter and yeah. scorer that Trayvon is, but his way hand, better passer, way better ball handler, way better passer. Um, he could really create a lot of things from that four position. And then when you're talking about, you've got Quentin Gooden on the court, right? You've you've got Paul Scruggs, then you've got JP Makira, and you've got Najee Marshall, all four in your lineup. That's four guys that can really handle and pass, and JP's the only one that can really shoot out of that group. Right. So you're you're gonna have to find some outside shooting from somewhere. But it could be a really difficult lineup to guard and really play the style Chris likes to play, getting up and down and, and moving the ball and playing fast. Uh, Marshall would be fascinating to me as, as a four in that offense. Yeah, and the thing about him is he could literally play anywhere from the one to the four. Like, he's, he's a big – He's a big, not, not a point guard, but, but, but he's a, like a six-seven combo but they, guard. But they yeah. run that elbow series, and he's a, he'd be a guy that you could run that elbow oh. series through and just kill it. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, when you it. have three guys, right. you know, not handling the ball at that time, that can all do stuff with it. It's it makes you really dangerous on the offensive end. But again, they're just going to have to find shooting, and that's why I don't even count out freshman Jared Ritter, who's kind of like the the. I mean, Kentavious Jones is a big project and might not even qualify academically, so he's kind of the last man on the totem pole in this recruiting class. But Jared Ritter, a lot of people kind of wrote off as well. We'll see. He's a specialist. He's a shooter. 
he was Gatorade Player of the Year in Missouri. He's the school's all-time scoring leader at a, at a really good basketball school. I mean, he's the type of guy that with this lineup, because you're going to have so many big athletic players that can really guard but can't shoot. Somebody's got to do if it. If he can shoot right. right away and he's not terrible on the glass and he's not terrible defensively, he could find a role on this team next year I, I and play think, some minutes. I think Elias Harden could too. I mean, he might, just because he's so thin, he might be a year away. Yeah. But skill set wise, I mean, you know, I have talked highly of that kid since last spring when the first time I saw him. I mean, he can shoot, he's got a decent handle, he's got some toughness to him. He probably does need ten, fifteen, maybe pounds yep. added to his frame because upper body he's not the uh the most physical guy. Yeah, he's really thin. He, I mean but as a shooter that doesn't impact him as much in, right. in terms of what he could. I mean, he's the one guy that in that class on the perimeter that they're bringing in that you look at, and he can really knock down shots. Yeah, I think he'll be in the plans. Now, how much he plays next year, how rare right. is he will and see. He might be a guy that's his sophomore year, junior year, he really blows right. up. But I, I, I like him a lot. I do, too. I wasn't bringing up Jared Ritter ahead of him. I was no, no, more no. saying it's kind I'm of the just, forgotten guy. Yeah, just class. adding he, to it. He might be able to help. Elias Harden, though, I agree with you. I think he's got a chance to be really good. It'll just be interesting to see how ready is he next year. Because they, they won't necessarily need him right away right. next year either. So we'll see. And you mentioned recently probably add a fifth-year guy or fifth-year transfer. Yeah. You know, grad, the, tra- grad, tra- say fifth-year grad transfer. The Michael Weathers kid from Miami is going to visit. Um, I don't know if he – he's not a fifth-year guy. Obviously, right. he would have to sit out. Um, they're, they're going to be active in the transfer market, both for to immediately help them next year with fifth year or, or whatever, right. and also going forward with transfers and, right. and guys that might have to sit out. So It's it's how you have to almost, and unless you're Kentucky and Duke, what's going on? Amber alert. Wow. Dark blue Hyundai Sonata. Please keep an eye out, folks. The good news is it can't be any of us. It's not us. <laughs> it can't be any of us. Um, Child abduction alert. That was pretty wild. That was yeah. good. Yeah, that was um, all our phones started going A-wire. Unless you're Kentucky or Duke or, or Carolina, the transfer route is, is almost the most efficient way to supplement your roster anymore. If you the graduate transfer route, you mean? Uh, no, or just, just, in, just general. in general. And look at, you know, Gonzaga's made a mastery. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And Nigel Williams-Goss, um, the shooter from Cal, Jordan Matthews, yep. um, the, the kid from Missouri, Jonathan Williams the third, And then you supplement that with, with strong recruits. And, you yeah, know. And, I, and I think, unfortunately, you, you just – because you sometimes do know when you're getting the one-and-done guy, but you also – like like Trayvon, you don't know, is it going to be year two, year three? Yeah. Is he become a four-year guy? Well, I mean, and, uh, I think it makes it harder to gauge that sometimes. And I'm interested to get your thoughts on this because I know most coaches now don't like having 13 mm. because it creates a lot of animosity at the back end right. of the roster. Guys aren't playing. Do you like 12 and 13 being transfers that are sitting out a year? Those guys can't complain. They're, they – that, they don't have anything to bitch about. They're sitting out a year. Because they have yeah. to. Yeah. And, that, and that's kind of the whole idea. And it sort of just depends on the makeup of your roster, how old certain yeah. guys are, how much certain guys are expecting to play, and all that type of stuff. But, like, this year, Chris Chris had a really light roster last year, I think 11 or whatever it was, and then guys get hurt, so you're really down. Next year, I expect there to be 13 scholarship guys. I think they're going to be really aggressive in the offseason, making sure they fill those spots. But it might not be guys that are ready to play. Like you said, it'll probably be guys sitting out, potentially. And, and I've, I mean, I know you've seen it, too, and I've, when you get to 13, it is inevitable two to three guys are miserable. No question. And it can bring down your locker room. Right. Like sometimes your locker room is strong enough to handle it. Sometimes your locker room crumbles. How many did Mick have this past year? He only had 10. Uh, and then Kane was 11. Yeah, okay. 
Yeah, okay. Because yeah, then Tobler was a walk-on. And yeah. the other kids. They wanted to add a grad transfer last year, and they couldn't. You know, They had the, the Holden kid that mm-hmm. ended up at Iowa State yeah. where it was, we can't promise, you know, because we got Kyle and Gary. Right. And Iowa State said, we got playing time. starting five. Yeah, we got playing time. You know, it. so they ran into a situation where they couldn't. They, were, they wanted one big grad transfer, and they couldn't find the right fit. So I think they went in one light of what they would like to have had next year. It looks like this year they've got one left. I would anticipate if they use it, it's going to be on a, a transfer to sit. Um, and then I think you'll probably see Aleel Sasimi red shirt. It is, it is such a fine line because of what you said, but you also then run into a year where Miles Davis is your 11th, yeah. and all of a sudden now you're down to 10. And, now and then here comes an injury, 9. And a freshman didn't pan out the way you initially thought, and now you're really down to 8 in the rotation. And one of the 8's a big guy that still is developing, and suddenly that roster that looked robust is down to what honestly, what Xavier wound up with. And it's like, that sucks. But at the same time, you don't win games with 8 through 12. Correct. On your, on no, your that's match. right. Okay, right. so like pe- people get mad like, oh, we don't have any guys. It's like, well, guess what? The guys you would have had in those spots suck. So you would have lost games anyways in yep. the Big East. It's yeah. just not – like it's not that big of a deal if you don't have enough players. It's like, well, we probably wouldn't have had players that are good enough anyway, so who cares? And yeah. fans get offended if you don't use that 13 scholarship. Boy. Yeah. I'll tell you what. It really – Like they're funding it. They, yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, it's funny. I mean, it used to be you could put ad nauseum guys on scholarship. John Wooden, that one yeah. of the reasons they went to the rule of what they went to eventually was 15, and then 15 became 13, and that seems to have been at least the happy medium. But you're right, a lot of programs don't go to that. Um, I don't even know That's if Cal had 13. Did Cal have 13 on scholarship? He, has he ever? I don't think he's ever had close. I think he's uh, – Yeah, I don't either. I mean, it feels like the Johnny Davids and his son and three other guys that you look and go, who are they? Yeah, uh, all the walk-ons. Yeah, right. And it feels like they're the ones that end up supplementing the end of the bench. So when he only plays eight guys, the ninth guy is probably a guy that, like Sasha Kalea Jones, not ready to play. I mean, it, you know. The platoon year he had, oh, like, a pretty full roster. Yeah, 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 he Ten did. full yes. guys. And, then and that's why they went to two platoon. That's two what, that was. Well, that's when, who came, I think, Couple guys came back that weren't expected to come back. The Harrisons. Yeah. yeah, the Harrisons. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. the Harrisons. So what was going to be eight became ten, and that's when he went to try the two platoon thing, the two units of five. So, um, but for Xavier next year, it, it, it you you kind of had a, a gauge going into this year what might might be. It, it completely yeah, we were a little wrong. It completely yeah. turned turned the script at some point, and then ended up being the magical run. Um, two years ago, you knew that was a good team, and it turned out obviously to be a, a great team that ends up getting a, a two seed. So next year, though, there's enough questions to make it interesting. Oh yeah, it's going to be a really uh, from my perspective of a really fun year. I like those years where there's right. a lot of unknowns, a lot of different things to write about, a lot of storylines that will probably develop and change as you go, and that's what you'll have next year. You'll probably have a team that struggles early, has some lumps along the way, has some learning to do. If Trayvon comes back, then it yeah, then right. it could end Not up being so much. Sure. They could end up being really good. <laughs> so much. Um, if he doesn't come back, then there's just a lot of moving a lot pieces. Of question marks, yeah. And even like a guy like JP, who you expect to come back and, and be really good for you, we just saw this year where he kind of took a step up and roll, and it, there was some figuring out, and he struggled early, and then really figured it out at the end and got it going. Yeah, but then but, if Trey leaves, man, it's my shot time. Well, exactly. <laughs> he becomes the star. No, no. How does he? How does he handle that? So it's going to be a really fun year. I just, I, I think that it's going to change too their style because. They're more offensive-minded, had multiple guys who couldn't defend on the court the last few years, had to really change some defenses and throw some junk out to to try to make up for that. Well, all of a sudden, 
All of a sudden, next year, I mean, you got to think they're back playing man-to-man pack line right. almost exclusively, or at least as much as they can. Chris Chris has shown he's willing to adapt to what happens no during the season and his personnel. No doubt. But they'll play as much pack line next year, I think, as they had the last three years because it'll be a bunch I, of long, it, versatile dudes that are athletic. I think that's a great – I mean, look, because you go in with one style and one thing that you want to do, if the personnel eventually doesn't fit it or injuries happen or Mix one guy can't do it, you, I mean, yeah, you got to do something different, and you can't be so stubborn as to go, I'm a man-to-man coach. Coach and by God, my guys couldn't guard anybody off the bounce, but I'm sticking with it, and I'm going to watch my guys get beat. No. To me, that was the Xavier Arizona game. It was like Chris knew how to beat that back right. line. It didn't always work, and obviously Arizona had built a lead, so I understand why Sean wouldn't get out of it. But the fact that he doesn't uh, right. believe in throwing something else out there for a few possessions to throw Xavier off, it really let him get in a rhythm, I, I think. Go to Roy Williams. I mean, Roy Williams wants to be a man-to-man guy, but what did he do against Kentucky for a couple of trips, a couple of key trips? Yep. Threw the zone at him. Yeah, just That was enough. a great call by him. Yeah, right. I mean, He's that, a guy that gets criticized a lot for end of games and right. stuff like that, right. not being an X and O guy. That was a really nice yeah. X and O call by him. Yeah, no doubt. Let's touch on Kentucky. Um, Hmm. One, obviously, there's going to be another load of talent coming in. They had Diallo sit out after he came in midseason, and, and, and the thought was he might play this year, and he obviously did, did not. So that's obviously an, another nice piece to add to it. The one thing, though, that, that they might be missing is that Willis Hawkins guy that's been a program guy for a while, Darius Miller. It always felt like on, on some of the teams that – Look, the one the, the undefeated team that lost in the semifinals was just so vastly more talented than anybody else that they literally could win with without but missing that kind of veteran glue guy that eventually you go to the bench and go, you know what, Dom, you know, I and, and for the guy to do what he did in the he tournament, he was outstanding, not just as a leader, but making shots, making plays. And, you know, Darius Miller's senior year, I, it feels like they're missing that guy. Yeah, I mean, I they've talked about And maybe the that guy's not being... a difference maker. Maybe they talked about the plan over time being to get one of those every year, uh-huh. every other year, right. and it hasn't happened since they got Hawkins and, and Willis. Willis. Yeah, and and now you see they're starting to extend a couple offers out to guys. Thomas Allen from Garner Road got a got a Kentucky offer, and there's a dude for Earl Watson Elite out in California that was committed to Cal that that they offered, and it, these are more top 100 type right. four right. year guys. Um, you're seeing that I think he's realizing, you know, as much as Dom helped us, we need a guy like that in the pipeline. Right. And, you know, I, maybe they, they pop the Juco route again. I don't know if anything, I don't know of anything that's there that, that really is exceptional at this point right. in time, but they're look like they're going a little bit more non-traditional in terms of not just getting the list of five stars. It looks like he wants to add at least one, maybe two. Um, four-year type guards. And I, and this, I think those guys, group. I mean, you don't see it. Those guys are invaluable in practice, too, Absolutely. because they've been through all of it. And when he's on your ass, if there's only nine freshmen around and there's no veteran to look to and go, what's he on me? Dude, he, you'll be fine. He's, he, he, he really does like you. He likes what you're doing, blah, 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 blah. Supposedly, I'm going, why is this guy on my ass? It he, needs to be Briscoe, but what's he well, going to yeah, do? Right, right. And that, that's what, that was going to be my next point, is he, he does become the veteran in the room if he sticks around. Which he should stick around, but yeah, I think it's it's just huge because you don't want to be having to reset your expectations every year with a new group right. of guys. Like just things working out and being in the weight room and when you're supposed to be at stuff, all that type of stuff. They're, I think you need some guys that understand the expectations, right. under, are able to set the tone for the rest of the guys. Yeah, um, but it'll be interesting because again, I mean the talent the talent's there, the talent will be coming in, and I, not not to the level. And that's the thing. This is the one year that that maybe not, but there's still going to be talent there. I'm not in love with their guards in this class. A lot of people aren't. 
Um, and maybe it's because you got used to Eulis and Murray followed by Monk yeah, and Fox. I, mean, I, I think Shy Alexander and, and Bledsoe time and Wall. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I think Shy Alexander and Time is going to be a guy that can play, um, and that's going to be a good fit for them. But Quade Green, I mean, good facilitator, good point guard, but he's not—he's not the creator that Tyler Eulis was. Yeah, I'm a huge Quade Green. I mean, I like I him. Really I just don't know how dynamic. Down. I mean, what, what are your, you've seen him a bunch. What are your thoughts on him? No, I, I mean, basically what you're saying, he's a great distributor. He's a better shooter than some of those other guards they've had uh, from the outside. And he just makes plays. Like He's a guy who just understands how to play. He can play really, really fast on offense without getting out of control and making yeah. mistakes. He's just he's in control. He's a floor general. He's a true point guard that can also shoot and score a little bit, but he's not going to be looking to do that. Um, so I just I just like them having a true floor general like that. I think it's worked out, like you talked about, with Eulis. That worked really well in Cal's system. I think Quade Green will, will have a, no, a guard, similar No, guards have flourished. I mean, they really have. I mean, guards have been great in his and system. And he, he's played with elite talent a lot. And like, that helps. That PSA Cardinals team. Yeah, I think you were talking about. Did he actually, you could have averaged ten assists on that team. <laughs> Just throw it down the floor. Go, 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 dunk for me. That is true. Now we'll see. It'll be interesting. Do they get Muhammad Bamba? Um, I think there's some people that believe that that he's leaning that way. Sounds like Kevin Knox is probably going to go to Duke. Um, the one I don't like, and I've never been a big Sasha Kalea Jones right, guy. Right. Right. Um, and and I'm not sure about. Uh, Jared Vanderbilt because he thinks he's a three and he's he's not a three. Right. He's a four. He's a skilled four. There's a four that can can do some things. I, I think you run into problems when you when you have that kid that insists that he's a perimeter guy when I mean he you know coming up he was one of the best rebounders where, 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 in the class. Where's Yalu play? Three. Three. And he can play the two. Yeah, I think it'll depend on who they end up with, but I think he right. might end up starting at the two. Just because I think they might end up playing a bigger lineup next year, depending. Because well, you think PJ, they're going to play Vanderbilt? Yeah, but three? but, I mean, but, but here's the thing: if, if, if Briscoe Washington could be the three, if Briscoe comes back, where's Briscoe play? Like if they bring in uh, Bamba and you got Nick Richards, like if you end up with that or whatever, you could play both of them together, or you yeah. could play. I think Wendy Gabriel is going to be really good, so you could play Wendy Gabriel with a big, play PJ at the three, Diallo at the two. And Green at the one, and, and I think PJ okay, so, would be more so suited back to the to, three than Vanderbilt. No, is. But, oh yeah, I agree. So what is where does Briscoe fit? I don't think he's coming back. Yeah, I I, I just assume he's not coming yeah. back. If he does end up coming back, then great. I mean, you got another you guard, Green and Briscoe. You play like, like you did two, this. You play three guards, basically three guards. Three. Yeah. Well, you well, got a lot of flexibility. Six seven. Yeah. He's a jumbo wing. He's not. Yeah, he's like six six and extraordinarily athletic. So. Like jump yeah. out of the gym, athletic. So you're not talking about playing three six one six two six three. Yeah, you're not talking about that. Um. Their big, that big rotation is going to be interesting. It depends on who they end up with, obviously. But even, but even right with now, what they've got. Yeah, even right now, it's interesting. It's long. It's athletic. It's tough. I like the makeup of their bigs. They don't really have a back. To, well, Richard's is kind of a back-to-the-basket type guy. But you don't really have like a, like a throw-it-in, right. you know, get, get buckets type guy. They're all more long and athletic. And a couple of them can stretch the floor. Like, I'm a huge P.J. Washington fan. I watched him a bunch. Um, the kid can do pretty much everything. Smooth touch from three, can put it on the deck, can pass. He's just big, strong, and tough. That's yeah. the best part. I mean, he's a, he's, he's a kid I really, really like. So I'm excited to see. And, and I could see, now that you mentioned it, I hadn't really thought of it this way, but I could see P.J. Washington being used like Trey Lyles was used in that 38-1 30, season. Because Trey Lyles... 
<coughs> wasn't a three. Right. No, it was, by, it, was by defo- it was by default because that's what he needed yeah. to get all those guys on the floor. I could definitely see Washington doing that. You a meathead, ding his ass. When we gonna talk about the other Kentucky? <laughs> Thank you, Charles. Charles, let's do that right now. Let's move on to the other giving, Kentucky. I just gave you credit for making a good point on PJ Washington. You guys. Like, no, no, I liked it. It was a good segue. That was yeah, a, I just had to do a Barkley. It was, per, it was, a per, it was nothing against you. No, it was, a per, it was a perfect segue. So about the other Kentucky. Northern Kentucky doesn't loses really Cole Murray, and that's it. Has everybody else back? Is it is the seven footer in this this group coming in? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and they I have one. I, mean, I don't think he'll play a lot. No, I know. Yeah, yeah. What they have. Yeah, and they have one scholarship. I think available. Is that right? Maybe. I don't think they do. Maybe they don't. Maybe they don't. But they've got. They literally do have everybody coming if back. If they do, it's probably looking for a wing or a big guy. Yeah. So, so what's the potential for this team, Mister NKU? Win the horizon. I mean, that should be the expectation for this group. There will be some other teams can, back with can, talent. Can, can you? Can you? Can you win whatever? But they're going to have at least a couple of buy games. We know. I mean, they, that's that. That's how they fund this thing. For goodness sakes, in the right buy scenario, if they were to play an Illinoisish level team. Could they beat them this coming year? They could. They'll definitely. Here's the difference between this year and last year. Last year they were still figuring out a yes. lot of stuff early in the season. It took till midseason, till almost later February, yeah, before they really hit their stride and started playing at that level. And then two, there's a confidence factor of all sure. of a sudden they now think they're good. They Absolutely, went and played with Kentucky, all that type of stuff. So next year in those bye games, I think they'll have a lot more of that mentality of. We're here to screw you guys up. Yeah, like, exactly. You know, and, and, and we've got a chance in these things. So maybe, I, like, it's not likely, but if they get the right team that's struggling a little bit, they might be able to pop them. I, mean, I, I haven't looked at their non-conference schedule yet. Oh, they, they haven't released it, I don't believe okay. so. I, but, you know, but you know there's going to be a couple bye games right. on there. So The big thing for them, would you say, is LeVon Holland taking that next step? And becoming, I thought he really did it starting the Horizon the League. Yeah, and I honestly, I. Tournament and into the NCAA. Is, is that the key for them? Yeah, his consistency. I agree with you. He wasn't that guy all year. And at times he was that guy, and then it'd go away for a few games and stuff. I mean, they're playing a lot of young guards, a lot right. of minutes throughout this year. Those guys gained experience. Um, obviously, the kid from Kansas City transferred out. So, LeVon Holland could be. Uh, Horizon League Player of the Year I think candidate he could be going too. into next year. He needs to play like that all season yeah. for them to to be where they want I mean, to be. If, if you if you had taken uniforms off and names off in the Kentucky NKU game and said which one of these two guys is an NBA guy between Holland or which one is the better guy between Holland and Fox, you would have had a hard time discerning it because I thought he was that good in that game. It's, I'm talking about one game scenario in that one game. I thought he was that good. I really thought he, he I thought he was the better player that night. Now, who knows? Darren Fox may have just been on cruise control for a night because then all of a sudden in the UCLA game, he decided to look at LeVar Ball and go, not tonight, Francis. I'm kicking your ass. And he did. So, um, but in that NKU game, I thought LeVon Holland, honestly, you watched him. He, he, was, awesome. he was awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited about what he could bring to that team next year if he plays like that for a full season because he was unbelievable the whole probably last month of the year. Yeah. Um, but then Carson Williams is, I mean, he was a freshman, freshman uh, on the all freshman team yep. in the conference. He could be a monster. Well, like, he could be look, a go-to look at, player for a lot of teams in that conference. Look at the step that Drew McDonald exactly took from that, that freshman exactly. year to sophomore year. He got himself in a little bit better shape, and he still has a little bit ways to go. Um, be- became a, a real – not just a, hey, we got a six seven guy. We can throw it in the post, and he can face up on occasion. He became a real offensive weapon. Oh, yeah. And, and if Carson Williams takes a similar type of step, now you're talking about two guys like that. Yeah, and Carson doesn't have the skill set that Drew does yeah, to be that the go-to range, scorer. Right. But when you have a LeVon Holland and a Drew McDonald, and you're asking 
Keegan Carson to just be that energy, that uh, dump-off guy, the offensive rebound guy, like all that stuff. He can do those yep. things at potentially an elite level within that conference, obviously, we're talking about. And he could be one of the best players in the conference in his role. You you have three all-horizon all caliber players yeah. right there, potentially. Was, was Mason Faulkner your biggest surprise this year? Yeah, without question. I mean, I'm really excited to see what you can do next year with both him and Holland on the court right. at the same time. They did it a time or two Not late much, in the season, yeah. but it just didn't really make sense for him with the, the line at the head. This year going forward, I, you're going to have to play both of them a lot. So you put two point guards on the court like that that are pretty quick and, and can score. And both of them can shoot a little bit yeah. from the outside, especially Faulkner. I think he's going to be a really good three-point shooter. So I'm really excited about what he brings to their backcourt. Now you don't I'm firing in some, some quality questions. I do. Right I like it. Now, you do lose a sniper in Cole Murray, but he was very much a one-dimensional spot-up shooter. And when um, he was cold, he was Yes. I mean, cold. he could have one for sevens, oh for sevens. He could also have six for eights that you miss some of some of that. But, but really – it's a loss because of, of his ability to do that on occasion. But if Mason Faulkner plays more minutes, he's not going to be Cole Murray, but he can certainly fill a, fill a need to, to make some shots. Yeah, and they're going to have to shoot the ball well because that's what they did so well this year. Right. They spread the court and they made it tough for other teams to guard them with their style of play. Drew can do that, so you get a little bit from the five, which right. really helps out your backcourt and not not – depending on them for all the outside shooting. But, yeah, losing Cole will hurt from the, the aspect of he could get hot and carry you for a night with 20, 25 right. points. They won't have that. He had a great season. He was great he defensively uh, compared to what I expected. Well, yeah. he, I shouldn't say he was great defensively. He was much better than I expected He, at one point, was so bad defensively that as good a shooter as he was, they could not play him. Right. And I mean, I didn't – I'll be honest. Going into this year, I didn't want him on the court at all. And then he had a great season. He yeah. rebounded better than I expected, defended better than I expected. But losing him, it's like, well, you just upgraded and got legit athleticism now yeah. at the three yes. instead of playing him. Yes. So it really helps you on the glass and defensively, I think. Yeah. Should be a fun year. I mean, there's, there's going to be a lot of good basketball in BB&T Arena next year. There really and truly I mean, is. You're looking at, I, I think Cincinnati's got the potential to be a top 15 team throughout the season, and Northern's going to be in the hunt for the Horizon League championship. Like, there's going to be a lot of good games going on yes, over there. Yeah, yes, indeed. It'll yes, be interesting indeed. to see how much you see playing there. Affects NKU's crowd? Yeah. It, it, does it supplement their fan base? Does, are, there, are there UC fans that go, you know what? This is a nice place to watch yeah. a game and, and I've heard, I've heard, beer night. Well, and, I've heard some good things about them. They're playing, and you'll hear yeah. they're playing Valpo as opposed to getting 4,500. Maybe you get 6,700 or 7,000 because people go, hey, I've heard of Valpo. I knew they are. Yeah, it's dollar beer night, and why not? I hear, I hear Rick Boring's going to be there. Yeah, Rick Boring and his Creighton Love will be there, and i, I got to go see him in the vault. No, I, I do think there will be a residual bounce for that. I really do. Well, I think there is definitely going to be that because people are just there. You know, more yeah. often they get used to it. They're like, oh, this isn't that hard hard to get to or hard to park or anything like that. They'll enjoy that side of it. And then also, you've got the situation where they just made this run and people all of a sudden became interested sure. in them. There's people calling asking for season tickets right now. No, They've never had that correct. before. So they weren't ready they weren't ready for it initially. Right. They're going to get a bigger a bigger boost from that too than I think people yes. are realizing. And I think Northern Kentucky as a community wants something like that to get behind. I don't know. That, that's a good question because we're all Northern Kentuckians, and we've seen Northern Kentucky is very segmented. I mean, it is. But the, nothing is the only thing that galvanizes Northern Kentucky is the University of, for the most part. Yeah, but now they're now they're. On I, I the think come the, up. I think the one thing that does do it is this wasn't just a, a run where all of a sudden you make a run and you lose seven guys off that team and right. you start everybody's over. back. Everybody, and that's the selling and, point of it. And I think that does help. And I think everybody can get behind. 
their best player is a local guy. Right. Their coach is a local, is a guy. local guy. No, I, I don't disagree with They're that. They're both NCC guys, so <laughs> might, might well, be there's a segment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's the segmentation. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But, I mean, there's. I think there's. There's definitely some. Um, some some ties to this region that's maybe starting to look at it and think. You know, there's a lot of people around here that went to Northern. No doubt. Rick Boring went to Northern. No, I, no, and, I, and I'm not disagreeing. I'm just I, no. I'm just in this, talking in, it out. In, the, in this year, that that it, the, the thing that helps is the fact you do have a, a team that you can say, "Oh, I watched that guy against Kentucky, and I watched yeah. that guy against Kentucky, and I watched that guy again. Oh, it's the same group. Holy yeah. cow! Um, I'll go over for, for the Valpo game or the and, Green Bay game. And John's a guy that's easy to root for. No doubt. Mm. No doubt. I think you're going to see him now more. I think the local media is going to. Take much more notice. Well, but but no. Well, in terms of, they're an NCAA tournament team now. That, well, that's a big difference. They're, they're more the newsworthy. Are going to be there? Yes. Well, and he's a good quote. He's, and he's a good, easy yeah. to work with. He's a good quote. So, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think the local media all of a sudden take notice of that team that they've took completely ignored. No doubt. Up until last postseason. Yeah. I mean, they weren't there for the final few games. Correct. It was just the NCAA tournament, that, really. Once they made their run in the Horizon League, that, that's when everyone started talking about it. That is there. correct. Until then, no one no, brought it up at all. Other than the skinny us. podcast. Other than this there. podcast. Thanks to Rick Boring. He started he started the ball rolling. Very passionate about his Norse. We, we came in strong on the Norse strength yes, last did. year. Yes, we did. Smashed about $8 beers before we did the show, too. <laughs> that might be the first show I've done sober with somebody else not sober. <laughs> that was an interesting take for me. I could see that. Yeah, I know you could see that. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the Pat Ewing hire to Georgetown. We've talked about it for a while. I, I'm not. What else were they going to be able to do? Here's the only thing I will. Tommy Amaker? Don, your boy, Danny Hurley. He was one of the other finalists for Maybe, it. but I don't even know if it would have got down to it if he would have taken it. But yeah, I really? know there's a lot of people that the more stuff evolved on that, the more people were going, I don't want to deal with Big he, John. Here's the only question I have. I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not questioning Pat's credentials knowing maybe the Maybe Danny would have. I just know. I just can't imagine Danny Hurley would be in a position to turn down Georgetown and what they can offer Agreed. financially. Agreed. The only thing I would say is, I don't know if, if if people know the whole CEO portion of being a head coach and all the all that goes with it. And is Pat Ewing able He's to do been that? I, in the grind for quite a while, though. This isn't. We're talking about the. It's been in the NBA. We're yes, talking about it's or, different. right, and, and I'm, that's why I'm not. I'm not questioning his qualifications to be a bas- the basketball portion of it, but the organizing the recruiting portion of it, the organizing the staff portion of it, and maybe he hits a home run. I'm not rooting against Pat. I, I hope it works out for the guy. For goodness sakes, I mean, because he's 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 paid his due. I mean, for a guy of his stature. Arg- arguably one of the 50, 50 great NBA players of all time, arguably, yeah. to grind his way, yeah, to sit on NBA benches and not get a head coaching shot, suddenly to be thrown into a major Division One program trying to rebuild itself. It's not like Chris Mullen. You thought, well, Chris Mullen, what a home run. He's an NBA guy, blah, blah, blah. No, it's, not, it's just not that easy because the, the portion aside from the basketball part of it, I think that's the part that all of us lose, not all, but the people outside lose sight of, of all the stuff that you have to do in that regard that's just not as easy as it Sitting sounds. Sitting on bleachers from April through But July organizing and, that and organizing yeah. who are we going after? What is our recruiting strategy going to be? Where are we going to go? Who you respond? I think you've got to be really good at that stuff. And he, he might be great, but now, it also might be he comes in and goes, i got to do all this? Now what you will see, and it worked for Mullen in New York City to an extent, is he's going to be able to go into anywhere in that region. That is true. And get kids. Yeah, and maybe more, yeah. Yeah, maybe more so than Chris in New York, to be yeah. honest with you. And that's... 
I don't care what anybody says. I, I, I'll fight you over this. That region is the it's most fabulous. talented. It's fabulous. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's not even close. I'm not. No, I don't disagree with that. An Baltimore, DC, DC yeah. the 757 in Virginia. Yep. That I mean, there's. I mean, there's look, no... look, look at guys that have come out of that area. That, yeah. That's the thing. No, there's no doubt it's talent rich, and I guess that's the only good part is it's not like he has to pinpoint going numerous places for numerous guys. It is building the relationships in that marketplace, and I can't imagine he wouldn't be good at that. I just wonder if he's good at the CEO portion of the, of the job. I don't, I don't, I don't. I'm not knocking his basketball credentials. Like I said, I, I'll give the guy all the credit in the world that he's probably got enough money to to basically at this point of his life go. I don't have to do anything. I don't want. I don't need to do anything. I don't want to do anything. And yet he grinded it out on NBA benches trying to get an NBA head coaching job, and it never worked out for him, unfortunately. Yeah, as always, the the assistant hires will be huge yes. here. I mean, who who does he get to come with them? Um, Xavier fans are worried about Mike Pegues being a target, which right. I could see why. But at the same time, if you're Patrick Ewing, are you like really worried about needing to find a great big man's coach? <laughs> you would think there's a little ego there on that side of things. Like, eh, we got a big man's coach, right? We got that on lock. I'm good. We're good on the big man coach thing. <laughs> um, but Mike Pegues obviously has shown an ability to recruit, although it hasn't been as much in the D.C. area, just no. like that being where his ties right. are. He has recruited more like the South, like Atlanta and uh, Elias Harden and, and um, Nanaj. Marshall was a guy coming from that D.C. area, but Elias Harden was from the South, Contravius Jones from the South, so it'll be interesting to see where they go with those hires. My guess is Mike Pegues does not end up at Georgetown. Would, he would be a phenomenal It'd be a good hire. hire. Yeah, but I don't think he'll end up there would be my guess. Yeah. Well, we'll see how it works out. All right, anything, anything, any final takes? Mm, nah, let's get the hell out of here. Wrap this thing up. I just, I just want to shout out to the Ball family, the Triple Bs, and all the content they gave us this year. What do you think will become of them? You think this is going to like, you know, keep going and they're going to get a reality he, show? He's not going to have the the platform in college, but he's going to have the platform. He's going to be in the NBA. I just will he be that overbearing to an NBA coach? Will he? Well, it won't matter to the NBA coach. That's my point. It won't matter. But. It, will it, it, will this be, be media white noise. stuff still be going? You know, oh, will they get the? Oh, because because yes, absolutely. Well, you think they'll still be go? relevant this time next year? Where does he go? Is the the key? I, see, I'm I'm not worried. He's going as much to the about, Lakers because he's going to make it happen. I'm not as worried much about where Lonzo is. I'm just what Lavar's plan isn't that. You but know I'm I mean? saying like if he's with the Bucks, nobody's talking about Lonzo. Right, but no one's talking about Lonzo right now. It's all about LeVar. Yeah, right. But, but he's, in, he's in L.A. Like, the, yeah. he plays for UCLA. It's a, it's a relatable stage. Like, if he's, if he's in Toronto, nobody cares what LeVar Ball says because nobody's watching Lonzo. They don't give a damn. He's going to be busy coaching Chino Hills. If he's in Boston, guess what? Yeah, there's relevance. He's, on a, he's on a bright stage, then, and then LeVar can be an idiot, and he's apparently – Already buddied up with the the first take folks. I mean, that's a, an easy platform yep. for him to be on. Yep. As early and often as he wants to be. What an embarrassment that was. Yep. He looked like the kid, and Lonzo looked like the adult. That's impossible. And that's Mark, impossible. Did you see him? He came out with his Vince McMahon strut, and Lon, Lon, Lonzo comes out with the head the hoodie on. For the record, that strut is. One of the greatest all-time villain struts of ever. Like that I mean, was it's amazing. Vince, it's Vince McMahon. It's it's straight up rip from Vince McMahon. T- times a hundred because it's Levar Ball doing yeah. it at Levar Ball's size and everything. I mean, just an amazing visual. Yeah. As he strolled onto the set there, clown. Just a clown. A, a smart clown, but a clown. 
I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely interested now to see where it goes from here for them. I am too. And to see whether or not the kid is, is, is going to be a top-level NBA player or not because there yeah, are I questions. I think he'll be good. I think he'll be good. I, I, great, I don't know about, but I think he'll be good. I think he'll certainly he'll justify probably where he's picked. That part I will say. Yeah. Last week, TMZ did report that they're trying to get a reality show and everything, oh, yeah. as we said. Which of course. Is, that was very obvious, but Keep, keeping up with the balls. Juggling the balls. There might be that. That might Bust, be that. Busting, busting your balls. Busting your balls. That's probably more like it. That's probably way more like it. Boys, I appreciate the season. We're probably going to do a couple of off-season ones, right? We'll, we'll see how things are going on the recruiting road. And we'll be uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll maybe back like a monthly check-in. Yeah, we'll do a monthly check-in. And then we'll be back at it probably in, in early November and do this again. And this time Let's we'll get go. you paid. Thanks. You promise? Is I can't promise. It, man? We're going to make it happen. All right. All right. Thanks, folks. <laughs> Speaking into existence. Exactly. All right. Thanks for joining us this year on the podcast. But, Dave, we'll be around every month or so, so make sure you check in, and we'll give you ample notice. Thanks for listening. Come and see me when they win it. Come see me when they win it.